Welcome to Challenging Christianity. I'm your host, Rebecca Kinnestrand. Do you consider yourself spiritual but non-religious? Agnostic. Or maybe you grew up in a church but don't believe what you were taught there anymore. This podcast exists in that space between all-in or all-out religion. Join us in asking questions that challenge the notions of Christianity. Welcome to Challenging Christianity. I'm Rebecca Kinnestrand. Daniel Dadashi is with me. And in-house today as a guest, we have Pastor Mike Anderson. Thanks for joining us, Mike. You're very welcome. Wonderful to have you on the podcast again. We have done, we've gotten a few episodes under our belts um, that we're going to be putting up, but uh, this is a little bit of rebooting because of the fact that we've been out for six or seven months due to COVID and everybody adjusting and uh, understanding how to live life online. Um, but I'm happy to be back. And today... It's so good to be back. Yeah, it totally is. Um, we got our little Tuesday meetings here that we do. Today, I was wanting to talk a little bit. Um, we've been a little bit, um, I don't know, on general topics of late. And today, I wanted to delve a little bit more into biblical teachings. And I thought a good book to pull out would be Revelation and talk about the book of Revelation. And it is Revelation, not Revelations, because a lot of people make that mistake. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I think there's a lot of misconception about what this book Mm -hmm. is. And the general public seems to be introduced to this topic um, sort of via Hollywood movies and end of world times, fire, apocalyptic uh, sense of destruction, death, despair, the second coming of Jesus, and he'll take some and leave others, and people shooting into the sky, and other people being damned, and you know, this kind of crazy, disruptive thing. And it, um, end of world times. And I think I'd like to really understand what is it actually about? Um, I did a little, you know, my Wikipedia research that I end up doing. A um, little bit silly, but I think it's good to kind of get a general um, definition in a way. Um, and I'm just going to read here real quick. This is the book of Revelation is the final book of the New Testament. And uh, consequently, also the final book of the Christian Bible. Its titles derive from the first word of the Greek text, apocalypsis, meaning unva- unveiling or revelation. So let's just start from that sort of definition. And Pastor Mike, can you, you know, I know that you have two separate uh, teachings on this that are two hours long, and we're going to link to those um, on our on our website. So please, listeners, go to that if you want really in-depth. But we're going to do a really quick, you know, touch on some topics on Revelation, and I'd love to get your thoughts on that, Pastor Mike. Well, thank you, Rebecca and Danielle, for having me on your show, Challenging Christianity, and for the topic that you've chosen for today, Revelation. And it's actually a very good place to start with the word revelation, which traces back to the Greek word apocalypse. The word apocalypse from the Greek language, which is used in the Bible, has become an English word that we all associate with utter destruction. Utter destruction. (laughs) And, you know, I remember way back when I was a teenager, the movie Apocalypse Now. 
Yes. It's a powerful, powerful movie, and it's scary. And then since then, every time I've heard the word apocalypse used in our media or in our um, TV or movies, mm -hmm. uh, it has been about destruction. And really, I've learned that the Greek word apocalypse is not that at all. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. destruction. It means a revealing or an unveiling. It's almost like a curtain is raised so you could see behind to the real truth. And I had it explained mm. to me once as a, an apocalypse is like a dream. When we dream at night, it feels like it's getting to the very core of our being. And things are in our psyche, our soul, that we can't describe with normal words. I mean, our dreams, they're hard to explain. Mm -hmm. um, they're strange, but they touch on some deep issues that we might have within ourselves. Um, issues like fear, anxiety, passions, confusions, and they come out in strange ways. Well, back well, 2,000 years ago at the time of Christ, just before and just after, Many authors used a style of literature called apocalyptic, where they would mimic a dream. They would tell these strange stories and use symbolic numbers, but to get at a deeper truth that is veiled by society. Society veils the real truth that is behind. So that's a starting point. So I'll pause for a moment and just get your reaction to that. And I can talk a little bit more about what is being veiled in the first century with Jesus. Do you have any reaction to what I've said just so far? Uh, my One of my thoughts was I love learning about the different writing styles because I think that sort of the historical perspective on it is really interesting. Otherwise, you you look at things and you're like, what, how, what is this? Or you try to take something literally and you're like, no, 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 people just wrote that way. That's the way it kind of was back then. And um, so that, that was new to me to hear just today. And um, I, I just love the idea of unveiling conceptually. I mean, I think that, especially with what mm -hmm. has been happening over the past, you know, eight or nine months or so, and how easy it is to get overwhelmed and depressed and in despair and to realize that sometimes, you know, going through these hard things does strip away, you know, the pretense of life. And I, I just, when I talk in my own microcosm of my own little life in my house, and you're like all this running around we did and all the busyness that we had and running here and there into school and this and that. And then all that gets stripped away and you're down to the bare bones. Of like, what are we really doing here? Mm -hmm. And when I talk to you, uh, I now am teaching my kids at night, you know, I'm tutoring them at night. And although that's a lot of hard work, um, it really is clarifying on what I really want them to know, what I really you know, it isn't just like, oh, go to school and that's partly daycare and that's partly um, socialization is partly this and partly that and get your homework done. And it's like, no, I have to be really laser focused on what's really important here and what time are we taking as a family together? And I, I, anyway, it, it is an unveiling to me. What do you think, Danielle? I don't know. So the idea of this unveiling at first, it sounds so different from 
what I think of as apocalypse from oh, like, yeah. popular culture, like the end of the world, everything's over the end of the world as, as you know it. But in some ways, an unveiling, like a revealing of the truth, those things that we use to veil, those things that are that, those coping mechanisms we use to hide our true intentions that are unveiled in our dreams, mm. those are there to keep us a little cozier and to make us feel more protected, right? And so that's sometimes why waking up from a dream can feel so jarring, like, oh, I didn't realize I was harboring so much fear over that thing. I didn't realize that was so scary to me. I didn't realize how much that was weighing down on me. It's almost, it's the end of that version of yourself that you'd built up hiding Mm. that other piece of you. So I can see how an unveiling would be the end of something. If you take away those things that you use to block off the scary or the parts of your life that you don't quite want to see or can't quite see, it would change everything. But on the other hand, it is extremely scary. It it can oh. be very terrifying to be unveiled, right? Oh, for sure. I think the most common sentence I've used in these last six months when people ask what it's like quarantining by yourself, I, hmm. I keep saying it's terrible. I'm left with with nothing but my own thoughts. Um, you are exactly, <laughs> exactly on target with understanding apocalypse and revelation. And in a real serious way, our society is going through an apocalypse right now and mm. unveiling, which reveals behind the veil the true importance, the true fear, the true anxiety. And it's through that unveiling, which is scary that can sometimes bring wholeness and health. Like with a family, you describe teaching your kids at home and you're focused on things at home and you can't hide behind just the teacher doing it at school. Now you've got to do it and you've got to spend time building a relationship with your kids, which will ultimately turn out to be a great blessing. Even though it's hard, hard work now, kind of scary for parents to become teachers at home, but it will bond the family in a powerful way. And for someone who lives singly at home and unveiling of, you know, feeling lonely or feeling, you know, anxiety can open one up to build relationship, to find out what's important. So it is through this scary unveiling. And that's what we look at um, the book of Revelation only at the scary parts. But Mm. the book of Revelation is meant to open us up through those scary things like a nightmare that healing and health can happen and the book of revelation will ultimately lead to the most beautiful future possible and that's what we often neglect is we forget the beautiful future that ends the book of revelation and ends the christian bible hmm. now i so, think i think one of the a, a kind of modern depiction of of the of revelation i think of the left behind series yes the, the series of books and movies that depict people who the chosen and not right exactly and right? So yep. like everyone who is quote unquote good gets like disappears and so then it follows the people who are left behind on earth and I, I left behind what what's your view of, of how the book of revelation relates to that concept of being left behind. Well, it's interesting that that whole idea that is behind the Left Behind series is fairly new theology. 
only about 150 years old. In the 1830s, a guy named John Nelson Darby developed this whole way of thinking about revelation by combining revelation with other parts, other scripture passages in the Bible. Uh, for example, he's got to combine um, the book of Revelation with a reference to Antichrist in the book of John. So, first John. And it is there and in Thessalonians, and he combines all of these different parts of the scripture that don't relate to each other. They're from different contexts. He stitches those together and creates a theology which basically ends up dividing people lost and saved in and out, um, good and bad, up and down. And mm -hmm. ultimately, that kind of division is not what Jesus was about through any of his ministry. Jesus was always about the business of bringing people together, of building a community. And actually, Revelation describes a beautiful coming together, not a separation of people. So some people can choose to look at scripture and they can find scripture passages that divide people into lost and saved. And that has become the most popular theology. The way I look at the Bible, I look at the passages where everybody is brought together. Here's one example. At, toward the end of the book of Revelation, it talks about a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. The new Jerusalem is a symbol of a community that it is as it should be. And that community has um, a size. It's 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, and 1,500 miles high, symbolic. Mm -hmm. But you think about the size of that kind of city, how many people do you suppose could live in that city? It's big. It's big enough for everybody. So in many places in scripture, there is this inclusive quality where the goal of God is to bring everybody back together again. You can choose that to dominate your theology, how you interpret scripture, or you can choose what has become very popular, I think, with human nature, the desire to divide people into different groups. Uh, we do that sociologically everywhere. We do it politically. We do it racially. We do it economically. We do it in so many different ways. So I choose to look at scripture through the lens of inclusivity. And when I do that, I can see passages in Revelation that really end up bringing the world together again. So that's how I would speak to the Left Behind series. I would completely disagree with the premises behind the Left Behind series. Um, I don't think God is about the business of, uh, you know, kind of anxiously waiting to condemn some people and to save others. I think God is about the business of saving all people. I don't know how God's going to do that, um, but somehow God is going to bring us all together and the created order itself. That's what dominates my theology. Now, aren't there separate? Um, so in my extensive Wikipedia research, I, you know, I'm wondering, it says that the book spans three literary genres. Um, is that something we, we want to talk about? The epistolary, the apocalyptic and the prophetic? What is that about? Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm not a real Wikipedia fan, Rebecca. Well, everybody but, else is, though. That's what I they're going to do. They're going to be like, what's happening here? So when he talks in, or she, whoever wrote that article or the 
you know, a dozen people who contributed to that article right. talked about three literary genres. One you said was epistolary, and that has to do with a letter. So an epistle. So the letter is a letter from John who wrote the book of Revelation to seven churches in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. So he, he wrote one letter to be read at all these churches. So that's part of how the letter starts. The genre is dear so-and-so church, <laughs> I write to you. But then the second part is you said it was prophetic, which is a call to change, a call to um, bring the society into order. It's not just about individual salvation, which Danielle mentioned a moment ago, the Left Behind series, really is about individual salvation. Right. Revelation is really about corporate salvation. And by that, I mean bringing a society back into its proper order. That's the prophetic side of the book. And the apocalyptic side of the book is the style it's written in, which I mentioned earlier. It's like poetry or prose. Um, this is a different style of literature called apocalyptic. And it's John's way of getting his message across. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to follow up on that if you give me a moment. Is that okay? Of course. So some of you listeners may remember images from the book of Revelation that include beast. Um, yes, seven-headed uh, dragons. The dragon, the, mm -hmm. the city called Babylon, and all that, etc. Well, those are all references to an empire called Rome. You've all heard of the Roman Empire, and in the first century, when this was written, the Roman Empire was at its height. And there was something in that century called the Pax Romana, Romana. P-A-X is a Latin word. It means peace. The peace of Rome, the peace of the empire. The empire of Rome has brought peace to the world. That's what they sold anyway. Well, the real core of the book of Revelation is to unveil that falsehood that the peace of Rome, if you pull the veil back, is rooted in oppression and slavery and war and inequality. That wow. is not a true peace. <laughs> Sounds that kind of prescient. <laughs> yes. Well, that's why I bring it up. That's why Revelation can speak to any society where the society tells you that you're safe because we have lots of soldiers, or we have lots of missiles, or we mm -hmm. have lots of ability to borrow money to give to everybody in the country. You know, whatever it is, he, unve he unveiled, John unveils that and says, no, you think the peace of Rome is real peace? That's not real peace. And he describes Rome as a beast. Mm. And that's what's being referred to in this dream. The dream is... Um, an unveiling of what is portrayed as wonderful and great, and the, the empire is the biggest blessing to the world, but it's not. And that's what Revelation is all about, an alternative empire, an empire that is built on real peace, on kindness and compassion and justice, where people love and care for one another. And there is a great battle that takes place towards the end of Revelation. What I always find interesting in these shows like Left Behind or apocalyptic shows where 
they have Jesus and Jesus' army coming to do battle with the uh, armies of the beast. And it's like the Jesus' army uses more military power to beat up the one from the other side. And it's like, well, that doesn't make much sense. It's using the same tactics. But if you read Revelation carefully, it says that Jesus comes with a two-edged sword, a symbol for God's word. God's word, which is truth that can hurt us, like we referred to earlier in unveiling. It can be painful to see the truth. The other side of the sword is the sword of grace and compassion and forgiveness. And it says that Jesus defeats the powers of Rome, the powers of military, the powers of greed, the powers of inequality with the power of love and forgiveness and compassion and kindness. That's mm. what defeats the powers of evil. It's like what Martin Luther King Jr. says, you know, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. It's like the power of a Gandhi who mm -hmm. did use civil disobedience, yes, but never violence for violence. And that's what gets me about um, many forms of Christianity to take today. It's almost like we want to use more violence to overcome the violence or basically any movie that you watch today. Oh, yeah. Any movie you watch today, the good guy wins. But how does it actually it's the good girl wins, the good gal, yes. wins, the good yes. woman wins. Very because much. We have a lot of um, empowerment of women today. But you'll notice that they often use violence and masculine qualities of power to yes. overcome their enemies. Never do you have a show that overcomes and converts people to kindness. You mm. have a show that beats someone up. <laughs> and yes, the superhero genre feels, is very popular. <laughs> it's very popular. And Revelation, the book, is the opposite of that. It mm. overcomes the evil with the goodness and the compassion and the self-sacrifice of Jesus as the lamb. And it's out of that that a new society is created, a true empire of kindness and compassion, love and, and decency. And that's how the book ends. That's how the world ends. That's the message of Christianity. Mm. Sorry to wow. kind of get on my little soapbox oh, there, it. but you know, Horrible. I'm passionate about this and people need to know this. People need yes. to learn this. Yeah. Just the images, uh, the images that come to mind when you were just saying the grace, compassion, the power, you know, it reminds me of the people working in hospitals now mm. with this, with people who are so sick and their sacrifice to do that and to leave their own families or, you know, become infected themselves. And that it kind of transcends all of the talk right now. It just, I feel like you know, the hospital workers, they're just sort of these untouchable angels. And um, it just transcends the conversation right now. I was wondering if um, the people, when this was written, when it was written, and if there was, what was the kickback to this? Because you can't tell me that people in power with actual physical power really like to hear this message. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> This is written towards, well, first of all, a comment about the hospital workers that are working today. Then I'll get to the, the yes. second question. Um, in the first few centuries of Christianity, Christianity became popular 
primarily because the Christians are the ones who cared for people during plagues. Mm. Everyone else would run away. The Christians would risk their lives to care for other people. And in the risking of their lives to bring care and compassion, it began converting the world. Of course, the world um, sort of took Christianity and misused Christianity in their power structures, but Christianity originally started like a bunch of hospital workers who cared for one another, and the world was inspired by that. Mother Teresa, I mean... There's an example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it still happens today. Right. And to your second question about when this was written and what was the reaction to it. So this is written towards the end of the first century, where the Roman Empire probably has 60 million people across it. And there's this tiny little movement called Christianity, which has, you know, a few thousand people in it. So when Revelation is written, it's written to that tiny minority of people who think they don't make any difference in the world at all. They can't make any difference because they're too tiny. Mm. The Roman authorities would hardly blink at this. You know, it's like nothing. It right. has no impact on our wider world. So it includes, political votes there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really designed to encourage those people who face difficulty and who face temptation to give in to the structures of the world, to buy into the Roman Empire of dominance and power, and to sort of agree to it and feel like they can't do anything to change it. I mean, that may be the way people think today, that you see the world going in crazy ways, and the temptation is to cocoon in, to stay mm -hmm. away to not feel like you can ever change the world around you, Revelation says, no, God works from the underside of history through ordinary everyday people, through people who feel they're insignificant, and it's through that kind of grace and love that they can offer that the world begins to change. The world doesn't change by us hating our political enemies. The world will change by us loving our political enemies. And that's for all of you out there in the podcast world to hear that we don't change one another by hating one another. We change one another with love toward one another. And that's the ultimate message of Revelation and was the ultimate um, attraction of early Christianity. Of course, again, Christianity was co-opted to turn it into an us versus them kind of religion. But that's not how it started. And I wish and I pray we could get back to that original intention in the 21st century. I really love all the things you're saying, theoretically. Oh, we had to break it down, Rebecca. <laughs> but I wonder, I mean, I know it's like, love your enemy. Okay, that's really hard to do, you know, um, really hard to do. And on top of that, if I want something changed, um, I don't see that as the most effective way in the system that we're in to go about doing. And so I guess in a practical sense, I look at that and I'm like, I love that concept. I agree. Yes, yes. But, um, you know, how do we break that down into practical matters when we want a system that we think is unjust to change and when we want, when we want changes within our society? How do we break how do we break that down? 
Well, I'll tell you, Rebecca, that statement that you just made was given to Mahatma Gandhi about every day of his life. It was also <laughs> stated to Martin Luther King Jr. You know, how can you do this? We need to move quicker. We need to fight. We need to. Mm. And they said, no, that's not how we're going to bring about change. We'll bring about fundamental change by changing human nature. And it starts with oneself. You know, Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. really started with themselves to understand who they were and to wrestle with the apocalypse that went on within them. But didn't because they? They were pretty political. They were political, but they did not use violence. That's my whole point. You I don't see. use violence mm -hmm. and hatred and power to overcome. You use consistency, discipline, love, and you never stop. You never stop. Hmm. You keep pushing, you keep pushing, keep pushing, but you don't have to do so with anger. You can do so with actual love for your enemy. And I think like there's some guy named Jesus said that actually hmm. about love. And your I know. <laughs> 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 and it, it is that revelation is ultimately saying that is the most effective strategy in the long run. Mm -hmm. If you succumb to the quick, efforts to use the political methods of the day of hatred and power, you might win for a short term, but then the other side will take over before you know it. And you've got this back and forth, in and out, loss, save, winner, loser sort of mentality, a zero sum game. So I can't do it. You know, Rebecca, you say, this is really hard to do. Well, I, <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I have hard. I have hate in my heart sometimes, I must admit, for people who are mean-spirited. And it's very difficult. But I know a mean-spirited person is never going to change by me hating them. Yeah, I mean, yes, I, I agree with that. And, you know, I don't think that, obviously, we're not trying to promote people hating each other. I'm just thinking something that maybe we think is on a timeline, like if somebody's saying, hey, we have the destruction of the environment or something, and that's a timeline that it feels like it's going to tip and the urgent, even when there's an urgency there, or if someone is like, hey, I'm afraid that my son is going to be shot in the back, you know, or something. And it's like, there's a, there's, how do you manage that urgency? Um, I guess, you know, you don't ever have to do anything with hate, but you can still have urgency around yes. around an issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Urgency, discipline, strength of character, um, and you just don't stop. And mm -hmm. you're firm. I mean, uh, the best parental discipline is that way. You know, it's firm and consistent and dedicated. So could I get back to a comment about um, oneself? My nature isn't that way. Um, and I'd like to kind of take the apocalypse into our own human nature, because really inside of us, there are a couple different people. There's a part of us that wants the right thing, wants to be kind, understands very well that lo love overcomes hatred. And then there's another part of us says, oh, I just can't do that. And I'm angry and I'm hurt and I am going to fight back. And there's an apocalypse inside of us. Martin Luther really captured it, the Martin Luther from the Reformation back in the 1500s. He said that within each one of us, there is a saint and a sinner, and they do battle with each other. And he said that symbolically in baptism, there is a death of the old self, the sinful self, the hatred self, 
it dies. And that is a kind of apocalypse. And that's what the book of Revelation is really about. When you, you get the imagery of death and destruction, the beast is, is crushed. It's not just the Roman Empire that's crushed and the new way of living is lifted up. That's symbolic also of that side of us, that angry, sinful, hateful side that we all have. That side of us can also be crushed. And that's how I understand the parable about the, the wheat and the tares, it's called, where the chaff is sent to um, unquenchable fire. And this might be for your listeners to hear. The passage where we assume that the chaff in the parable represents evil and bad people, and they're burned with unquenchable fire. Yeah, and the great wheat from the chaff. Mm-hmm. And the wheat are the good people, and they get the reward of going in heaven. Well, I've always struggled with that, but I've come to the personal realization that I have within me both wheat and chaff. I have within me a saint and a sinner. And that when I read that parable and the chaff is sent to unquenchable fire, it's a blessing for me because it says to me that my chaff in Mike Anderson is going to be burned away or by extension the chaff in the way we do empire, the way we live together as society, that dysfunction, that inequality, that hatred, that reliance on military and economic power, that's going to be burned away. And we're going to be left with that side of ourselves that is good and decent and kind, and that side of our society, which is good and decent and kind. And you say, Eh, I don't see that happening anywhere. <laughs> I don't see it happening inside myself. I don't see it happening <laughs> inside society at all. And I say to you, what are you going to choose to believe? That our society is going to be dominated by that lower nature? That our individual selves really are going to devolve into a kind of survival of the fittest? Or are you going to want to believe in a, quote, mythology, a way of looking at the world that is idealistic and hopeful and dreamy, like I have a dream speech from Martin Luther King Jr. I choose that. That's how I choose faith. We sometimes think to be a believer in Jesus, you need to believe he existed and you believe he died and rose to heaven. That's Mm -hmm. not how I believe. I believe in the optimism of Jesus, that life is more powerful than death that hope is more powerful than despair, that a um, functioning society is more real than the dysfunction that is before us right to this very day. I have to embrace that or else I give in to despair. That's my choice. That's belief. That's faith. So you're saying the book of Revelation is an optimistic book. Oh, my goodness. It's the most optimistic book in the Bible. Read the last couple chapters, and you will see that the world ends in beauty and glory. If you ever heard of Handel's Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus, mm-hmm. that music was inspired by the book of Revelation. Hmm. And if you allow that music to be like apocalyptic literature, like it's unveiling, you, lo- you listen to the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah, and you feel like standing up and you feel like flying like an angel i mean mm-hmm. you you're lifted up to the heavens so handel does it with music what john tries to do with apocalyptic literature 
He tries mm-hmm. to give us that optimism in the face of destruction. And that's what Revelation is about. It is not about destruction and sending people to hell. It is about burning away the chaff and lifting us up so that we can live as God's people, not only as individuals, but as a society where no one is left out. No one is, quote, left behind. Mm. All right. Like a phoenix rising. I love it. I love it. Um, Thank you so much for this really quick overview of a very complicated book in the Bible. Again, Pastor Mike has an amazing series, the Crossway series, that is now all on video. Is that correct? Got it all in the can? The New Testament part of it is. Yeah. Okay. There's four hours just on Revelation. Four Um, hours just on Revelation. We're going to link to that on our podcast. We'll link to it underneath this um, description. And don't you can start there, but you can also go all the way back to Genesis. And I think, oh, no, just the New Testament is online right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. So just to the New Testament part um, for Crossways, it's a fantastic um, supplement to any of our podcasts and um, really, really great teachings from Pastor Mike on the Bible. Thank you so much for being here. It was great to see you again. Um, I look forward to more conversations. We're going to break for today, but thanks all the listeners for listening. Write into us at challengingchristianitypodcast at gmail.org. And we'd love to hear from you. Oh, is it calm? I love your title of your podcast, Challenging Christianity. It's like you can challenge at Christianity and Christianity mm-hmm. can challenge at us. That's right. So it's a double challenge. It, right. It has a little... It's a yeah. two-way street. It's yeah. a two-way so, street for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks, Bye, everybody. Nice. See you next Bye. time.